Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Amen, amen. If you would turn with me in, the, in your Bibles, the Old Testament book of Ruth. Amen, the Old Testament book of Ruth, toward the front portion of your Bible. Amen. And uh, amen, after the first five books of the law, amen, and then following after Joshua and Judges, you'll find the book of Ruth. And uh, I just want to say a couple things as you turn there to uh, Ruth chapter 4. Amen. We're uh, glad today JB was involved in a vehicle accident earlier this morning, was driving. He told me 150 mile an hour earlier. I think he was joking. <laughs> I think he was playing with me. I think the, it was just slippery. Angelita said he better have been. Uh, slippery road conditions, and the car went off the road, and the car is totaled. Correct? That's what I was told. And the responders, when they showed up, said that somebody had to pick this car up and placed it where he was, right in between two trees. And JB walked away without a scratch on his body. And we're thankful. We're thankful. Amen. Thankful for the mercies of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And... Uh, also pertaining to Wednesday night, we are going to be having a cookout. It is meant for everybody. Tell your neighbor that means you. All right? Even if you don't like me, come and get a hamburger. All right? If you don't like me, come get a hot dog. I'll stay on the other side of the basketball court. You don't have to even talk to me if you don't want to. But if you do like me, come and talk to me, shake my hand, and have a hamburger too. Either way, you get a hamburger out of the deal, whether you like me or not. And uh, we're going to have a time of fellowship. We want to invite our community out. And uh, we're just going to have a good time. Uh, if it does rain, uh, we'll let you know. We'll, kind of, we'll, probably make, we'll try to make the call at least 24 hours in advance. And there will not be a postponement. It will just be canceled. We have another one scheduled for September. Uh, so if the weather doesn't permit, now if it's just, you know, a little cloudy, we're going to go ahead. But if it's terrible conditions, we, we will cancel. But we'll give you plenty of notice, uh, or at least try to give you plenty of notice. Obviously, if there's a thunderstorm that we didn't know about until the moment of. There's not much we can do about that, but we'll be watching the forecast. I also want to say that it's been an honor uh, for us as a church to have Cade here this summer. Cade has been an intern with us. He is a senior at Urshan Bible College in St. Louis, Missouri. And he has been just a huge blessing and uh, helped out a tremendous amount around the church, helped with our Unity Week for our youth, and uh, just many different ways that he's helped out. And I'd let Cade know if it does rain Wednesday night, have something ready. So if it rains Wednesday night, it's going to pour in here because Brother Cade is going to bring the fire. Amen. He's going to bring a word to us Wednesday night if it does rain. Uh, but either way, we want Cade to know that we love him. Thank you, Cade, for all of your work, your service to the church this summer. Amen. Let's give him a hand clap. Thank you, Cade. All right. Ruth, chapter 4, beginning at verse 9. And Boaz said unto the elders and unto all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's, all that was Chilion's, and all that was Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance, that the name of the dead be not cut off from among his brethren, and from the gate of his place ye are witnesses this day. Summary. 
said, I'm Mary and Ruth. That's what all that was about. I'm Mary and Ruth. He's making a big announcement. And the Bible says that all the people that were in the gate, the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. I just want to focus your attention to the middle portion of that 11th verse. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like the house, or rather in thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated. I want to preach just a little while this morning on this thought. You can't build it without without Bilhah. Amen. You cannot build it without Bilhah. Here in our text, taken from Ruth chapter 4, we come to the conclusion. This fourth chapter of the book of Ruth is the concluding chapter of a book that can be summarized by storylines of redemption and romance. The epic love story comes to a climactic point here in this fourth and final chapter as the wealthy field owner Boaz stands in the gate of the city of Bethlehem before all the elders and the people and publicly he confesses his love and professes his intention to marry a Moabitess by the name of Ruth. A Moabitess who had once been so impoverished and in want that she had come to these very fields that Boaz owned and she had come to glean. That word glean is not a word used in ordinary modern vocabulary, but gleaning was simply going behind those, the servants that had come to gather wheat. She came behind the harvesters and she would pick up just a stalk of wheat here and a grain of wheat there. And she would spend all day in the field hoping to just get enough to feed her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, for one day. But now this woman who was once impoverished and gleaning in the field will now become the wife of the man who owned the field. What a story of redemption. Amen. What a story of rags to riches. What a beautiful story of a romantic encounter. And now in marrying Ruth, Boaz will buy back the inheritance that had been lost by Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. And a Moabite woman will be inserted into the lineage of Messiah. I'm paraphrasing the entire book of the Bible. But the story of Boaz and Ruth is a redemptive story that is filled with promise, not only for Ruth and for her offspring, but if you begin to understand the types and the shadows that are shared in Ruth, you will understand that the love between Boaz and Ruth is a story of promise for everybody in this building today. And it is here in the fourth chapter as it begins in this final chapter of Ruth and Boaz publicly professes and he is going to take Ruth to be his wife. And in the 11th verse, the gathered witnesses respond after Boaz says, My intention is to marry Ruth, the Moabitess woman. And after he publicly states this profession, the Bible says the witnesses, the elders, and the people that are gathered in the gate of Bethlehem, that they offer a response to Boaz as he professes love and devotion for Ruth. As he stands and proclaims his pledge, the people respond by speaking a blessing over Boaz and his soon-to-be wife, Ruth. And here's the blessing that they speak. The blessing that they speak begins with, The Lord make this woman that comes into thine house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. 
what they were speaking over the household of Boaz and Ruth was a blessing of fruitfulness and fertility. It was a blessing of increase and abundance. They were using a story that Boaz would have been familiar with of Rachel and Leah, that between them, 12 children would make up the 12 tribes of Israel. And now they're saying, may this woman, may the woman that enters into the house of Boaz, uh, may she be fruitful and fertile. Uh, May there be increase and abundance in the house of Boaz. Now we have to understand that in biblical times, the worth, The value and the inheritance, the legacy of a woman was tied to her fruitfulness. Now today, I know as I say that when... If we were here, many of you women, and you heard the blessing pronounced and that women enter into the house of Boaz would be fertile and fruitful. Everybody's like, Ruth, I'm going to just wait outside today just in case. I'm going to just wait outside. But in that day, to be fertile and fruitful, that, that, that's, that's what your blessing and your legacy was tied to the, those attributes. And, and so, Lord, make the women that come into this house, make the woman that comes into this house, let her be like Leah and Rachel, which too did build the house of Israel or did establish the tribe of Israel. And while I understand the blessing that is being spoken by the witnesses in the gate of Bethlehem, and I recognize that their intentions are good and their motives are right. I have one problem with the blessing of the witnesses on that day in the gate of Bethlehem. In order to accurately convey the exception that I take with the blessing of Boaz's witnesses, I must first take you to the reference that they are making that we find in Genesis chapter 30. If you would turn there in your Bible. We turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 30. We begin to read the account and the record of the establishing of the tribe of Israel. So in the gate of Bethlehem, they are referencing what we will read in Genesis chapters 29 and 30. And they're saying, let this woman that is entering into the house of Boaz, let it be like this account that we read in Genesis 29 and 30, where the tribes of Israel were established through these two women. And if we turn our Bibles and we begin to read the account of the establishing of the tribes of Israel. And in truth, as we begin to read, we'll find that really it's more of a competition between two sisters that are vying for the affection, the admiration, and the attention of their husband Jacob. Amen. I I know that it sounds beautiful in the gate of Bethlehem, but in the moment it was not a beautiful thing. It was ugly. There was competition that was going on. They they, they were being motivated by envy and jealousy. It was striving one against the other for the affection of Jacob. It's anything but a beautiful thing. And most of us are at least somewhat familiar with the backstory of these two sisters that are wed to the same man. I know it's a doesn't make sense in North American culture today, but let's just read it for what it's worth in the culture of their day. How that Jacob had come to the house of Laban as an eligible young bachelor in search of the woman that would be his bride. There the Bible says as he has come to the house of Laban, Rachel comes out to where Jacob is. And Jacob loses his mind as every man that has ever met the woman of his dreams, amen, as I have. Just want to point that out. You know that feeling when she walks up. You're like, your your tongue turns into jello. I don't even know what to say right now. My words aren't coming out right. Come on, Brother Christian, me me and Brother Christian are together. He never misses a chance for some brownie points. Sister Flo is like, not again. 
But Rachel comes walking out and Jacob says, that's the one. That, that, is, that is the woman of my affection. That is a beautiful woman. And, 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 and so he goes to Laban and says, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. And I'm summarizing longer conversations. But Laban agrees, Jacob, you can have my daughter, Rachel, to be your wife, but only if you will work for me for seven years. That is the price of the dowry that is established. You see, if you're going to get something good, it's going to cost you something. Can I get an amen, ladies? Amen. The price of the dowry that is established for Jacob to marry Laban's daughter. And so Jacob agrees and the Bible says he works for seven years. But it seems, this is how you know you're in love. The Bible says he works for seven years, but it seemed like just a few days. And I'll say, oh, amen. 24 years married to my wife, but it just feels like it's just been a few days. <laughs> amen. Finally, I'm, I'm overdoing it now. I need to just preach. Finally, they're married. And the wedding night, they go into one another to consummate the marriage. And the Bible says, the next morning when Jacob wakes up, he realizes that it's not Rachel, but it is tender-eyed Leah. That is not an, uh, that, that's not a biblical uh, you know, words of, of affirmation. That is, that is not a compliment to be called tender-eyed. It was Leah who was less favored. It was Leah who was not as beautiful. And Jacob realizes he has been, he has been tricked. He has been deceived by his father-in-law. Uh, and, and, and after serving seven years, he's married the wrong woman. And, and so he goes into Laban and he says, I'll, uh, what do I need to do? You tricked me, you deceived me, but I still love your daughter Rachel, so I'll do whatever I've got to do. And Laban says, all right, work another seven years and you can marry Rachel. And I, that, that girl, she must have been some kind of beautiful because she must have looked just like Valerie because he said, you know what, I'll do it. And he said, you know what, I, I, all right, I really did overdo it that time. But it's sincere, it's coming from the bottom of my heart. Seven, seven more years, he says, I'll work. And so he gets back to work again. And the Bible says that he, he pays, he, he works 14 years in order to get the hand of Rachel to be his wife. And, and the Bible says that he had been willing to pay that price because of how much he loved Rachel. But now the problem is he's married to Rachel and to Leah. And the Bible says that everybody knows it's not a, it's not a secret. Both Rachel and Leah know that, that he loves Rachel more than he loves Leah. But now the war begins. And every child that is born is a notch up on the other. Every son that is born, inheritance is increased. Inheritance is expanded. Leah strikes first by giving birth to Reuben. She follows that up by giving birth to Simeon and then to Levi. And then finally, the Bible says she gives birth to Judah. And even in the naming of these sons, you can see that, that it's a war that is taking place between Leah and Rachel. The toxicity of this competitive war that is raging between the daughters of Laban is captured in the final verse of Genesis chapter 29 going into the first verse of Genesis chapter 30. And I'm going to take you there. The Bible says that Leah brings forth her fourth son and, and names him Judah, declaring, Now I will praise the Lord. 
Right, the fourth child is born, and she says, the reason I'm naming this child Judah is because it's produced praise in me. Amen. It's produced a praise in me. And the Bible says that Rachel recognizes her barrenness. At this point, now that Leah has named a child praise, that Rachel realizes I am barren. And then she is filled with envy. And now, now that Leah's blessing is turned to praise, Rachel declares to Jacob, give me a child or I will die. Now I want you to notice here it's not her barrenness that instigates within her a desire for a blessing. It's not the fact that she realizes I don't have a child. Rather it's the fact that somebody else is being blessed. She had no issue with being barren. She didn't have a problem with being barren until somebody else began to give God praise. Amen. And then she said I've got to have it. I've got I've come today to tell somebody I'm not preaching about this today, but it's a sad indictment when your hunger is not stirred by what you're missing but it's to keep up with somebody else what they're getting if the only time that you can give God praise is because somebody else is getting a blessing that you wish you could get your praise is in the wrong place I didn't come today to praise to keep up with you I came today to praise because I need something from God It's a shame when we are more motivated by envy than we are by hunger. It's not that I need something from Jacob. It's that I want what Leah's got. It's not that I'm tired of being barren, but I'm tired of you being fruitful. And if we're not careful, that enters right into the church. And rather than us seeking relationship with God, we seek to just be equal with everybody else around us. You need to get motivated by hunger. You need to get motivated by desire. You need to be motivated by relationship. I didn't care nothing at all about being on the praise team until they got promoted. And then, wow. I mean, if you can sing a solo, why can't I? Well, you didn't care about singing a solo until they got promoted. So what's the deal? That, that, that is letting you know there is a Rachel spirit that is at work in you. I don't want it to be that I need to sing a solo because somebody else got to. It's because I want to give praise unto God. It's because I want to give glory unto God. It's because I want to lift up the name of we can't let. Brother Roberts, you touched on it in Sunday school. We cannot let a spirit of competition get in the church. I'm not in competition with you. I'm here to, I'm here to collaborate. I'm here to complete you, not to compete with you. Until now, Rachel has been content just knowing Jacob loved her. 14 years he worked for me. She always, that was in the back of her mind. Leah, you might be having children, but I know he loves me. And she was fine with that, just knowing that she was loved by Jacob. But all of a sudden, when Leah starts giving praise unto God, it's no longer just being loved by Jacob isn't enough. Now I've got to have a child too. Amen. That is a competitive spirit that will destroy anointing. That is a competitive spirit that will destroy a church. That is a competitive spirit that will destroy a family. I came today to let the devil know I came to give God praise today. I came to lift up the name of Jesus. I didn't come to tear down your blessing. I didn't come to tear down what God's doing in you. I just came to see what God could do in me. I want you right now to 
stretch your hand out towards somebody else and say, God, keep on blessing them. Lord, if you're going to bless somebody today, bless them. Hey, Leah, I don't have a problem with you having children. I don't have a problem with you giving God praise. What have they got to be so excited about? What have they got to be dancing about? What have they got to be jumping about? Amen. I'll keep on praising it, Brother Scott. I don't know if you got a raise on your job this week. If you did, I hope you get another one next week. I hope God just keeps on blessing you. Amen. I hope God just keeps on multiplying you. Just keep on turning that back to praise. Just keeping your fruitfulness, turning your fruitfulness into praise. And I'm just going to keep on praying blessings upon you. But how many of you know it don't always work that way? Well, what are they doing to get a new car? How'd they get, uh, how'd they get all that? I know, I know they, they must be doing something on the side. I, I, bet, I, bet if we, I bet if we had somebody investigate, I bet they're doing something shady. No, I know that doesn't happen at Living Hope, just other places. And as we read, as the house of Israel is established one child at a time, Leah. And then Rachel, and then Leah, then Rachel, and back and forth it goes. The house of Israel is established as each one has a child, one after the other. And here I am reminded of the blessing of the witnesses of Boaz, where those witnesses in the gates of Bethlehem said, Lord, make the women that come into this house, or the woman that comes into this house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel. Yet as I continue reading Brother Roberts in Genesis chapter 30, and I read the lineage, and I read the establishing of Israel's house, I am made aware that the building of the house of Jacob, the house of Israel, did not just come through two women. It was not just Rachel and Leah. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that they weren't correct because according to culture at that time, they said exactly what should have been said. Amen. According to customs and culture, Leah and Rachel were the builders of the house of Israel. But as I read in my Bible, there are two other names that are mentioned in the blueprint of the building of the house of Israel. I appreciate the blessing of the witnesses, but more than just Leah and Rachel were involved, there were two other women that bore children by Jacob and contributed to the house of Israel. Two women that identified as concubines. I say concubines. Bilhah. The servant of Rachel and Zilpah, the servant of Leah. And in particular, I'm going to focus today on one, that being Bilhah, because there is greater focus placed upon Bilhah within the scripture. You see, without these two concubines, without Bilhah, there are not 12 tribes of Israel, there would only be 10. Without two concubines, one-third of the house of Israel would not even exist. And 12 is a very specific number. Amen. It is a godly number. It establishes godly government. And there had to be 12, but there couldn't be 12 without two concubines. And as we see in the word of the witnesses, Bilhah is not mentioned. Her contribution is deemed inconsequential. Her impact is made to be irrelevant because, after all, Bilhah is just a concubine. The name Bilhah meant timid and bashful. 
She wasn't seeking. You see, Bilhah was just a servant. She was a timid and shy young lady. She wasn't seeking to make a name for herself. She didn't desire recognition. She wasn't seeking fame. She was simply a servant to Rachel. She was just minding her own business, just doing her best to serve faithfully and diligently. But without Bilhah, the house of Israel is incomplete. Without Bilhah, the tribes of Israel would never be established. You cannot build it without Bilhah. Let me pause this morning to say that the house cannot be built without Bilhah. Amen. Greatness in the kingdom of God will never be established without somebody possessing the heart of a servant. If you think Living Hope is a great church, I promise you it's more than too deep. It's not just because you've got a, a, a decent pastor or maybe you think a good one even. I don't know where you'd put me on the scale, but that's not what makes this church great. It's because there are people in this church that serve the Lord and they serve the Lord with gladness. They come on Saturday and they vacuum. And they come on Saturday and they mop the floors. And they come on Saturday and they wash the toilets. And they make sure the building looks good. And they come on Thursday night and they practice music. And they show up early on Sunday morning and they get ready. You can't build it without Bilha. There's got to be a Bilha if there's going to be a house. Let me get a little more personal than just the building and the church of living hope. If you don't have a servant spirit, God can't use you. If you don't have a servant spirit, God won't use you. If it's all about promotion and if it's all about acclaim, God can't use you. But if you get a Bill Hall servant and say, I'm just a timid servant, I just want to be faithful. I just want to do whatever God wants me to do. Then God will build a house through you. I can sing in a microphone, but I can scrub a toilet too. I can preach on Sunday morning, but I can mop on Saturday too. I'm not above that. And when God sees somebody with a Bilhah spirit that's not griping and complaining about serving, but they serve the Lord, Brother Roberts, with gladness, God says, I can build a house on that. You may just, you, you may just be a concubine, but if you'll be a servant, I'll build my house upon you. You may not be a big name. Nobody may ever know who you are, but if you'll be a servant, God will build on you. Let me tell you right now what you're doing. Every Sunday when you show up and you clap your hands, you are serving the Lord and you're building a house. You may never preach on a Sunday morning, but you're building a house. You're building a place that sinners can run to. You're building a place backsliders can come to. I wish somebody would serve the Lord right now with gladness. I wish somebody would serve the Lord right now with gladness. I don't need a claim. I don't need accreditation. I don't need a pat on the back. I just need an opportunity to give God praise. Greatness in the kingdom of God will never be established without the heart of a servant. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus said, If you want to be great in my kingdom, then learn to be the servant of all. 
If you want to be great in my, he didn't say, if you want to be great in my kingdom, make sure you post everything you do on Instagram. He didn't say that. He said, he didn't say, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you need to hold a title or a position in a church. No, he said, if you want to be great, here's the key. You need to be a bilhaha. You need to be a servant. You need to be a concubine that never gets any credit. Nobody even knows your name, but you still show up every Sunday, and you're still faithful to the house of God, and you never stop praising, and you never stop worshiping. I will be Build my house upon you. Where is Bilhah in the blessing of the witnesses? Where, where is Zilpah? Where are the concubines? I, I recognize their intention and culturally I get it. I commend their motives, but I've got to remind the witnesses in the gates of Bethlehem, you can't build it without Bilhah. Amen. I see churches today, and I see leaders, uh, and it's all about them, and they don't really need anybody else, and nobody else gets the credit, and nobody else gets any any other praise. Uh, But I want to tell you, you can't really build anything in the kingdom of God without good people that just love serving the Lord. Servant of God, I come today to tell you, keep serving. The story's not over yet. By the time we're done here today, I'm going to prove it to you. The story's not over yet. Amen. You may feel like your contribution is insignificant. You may feel like your little hand clap on Sunday morning doesn't make a difference. You may feel like compared to what pastor does around here that what you do doesn't really matter. But I've come today to tell you it's what I do and what you do mixed together that build the house of Israel. It's what I do on Sunday morning and what you do on Sunday morning that build a house of Israel but no mention of the name Bilhah I understand the reasons why there are reasons why Leah and Rachel are mentioned and Bilhah and Zilpah are forgotten because there are differences between a wife and a concubine I'm just going to touch for a few minutes today on three differences between a wife and a concubine reasons why the name Bilhah is not mentioned in Ruth 4 and 11. First of all, the wife is connected in relationship. The concubine is simply a surrogate. She is simply, if I could put it this way, she is a means to an end. The concubine has no right to the man. She has no claim to the child. In fact, after that baby is born, after Bilhah gave birth to those sons, she didn't even get to name them. The moment that those sons were born... She didn't even get to hold them. They were passed directly into the hands of Rachel. Can you imagine that as a mother? Nine months you carry that child. 45 minutes, an hour, however long you labor. I don't know. I I, I said something wrong. Higher. Help me out. Two hours, three hours. I can tell right there I stepped into something bad. All right, I'm just going to move on there. Nine months you carry the child, 14 hours you labor. Is that better? You give birth to this child, and that's it. You have no right to the child. You don't get to name the child. You don't get to hold the child. It's passed right on to Rachel. She does all the work and gets none of the credit. She endures the pain but gets none of the profit. 
I'm preaching today to some bilhas in the house that life has left you feeling like little more than a concubine. You feel like you've struggled and you've toiled. Amen. Yet you've got nothing to show for your labor. You've got nothing to show for your faith. You feel looked over and let down. You feel like nothing more than a surrogate. You're just a means to an end for the people in your life. You feel underappreciated and overlooked. And the enemy will come in these seasons and he will whisper in your ear and he'll say, Bilha, nobody appreciates you. Nobody loves you. Jacob doesn't even know who you are. They're just using you. People around you are just using you. The church is just using you. Your job is just using you. You're just a means to an end. Listen to me right now. Entitlement will destroy your ability to serve. When the enemy whispers in your ear and says, you deserve this and you deserve that and why aren't you getting promoted and why aren't you and why aren't that, what it will do is destroy your servant spirit. And when your spirit, when your servant spirit is gone, God can no longer use you, but I will serve the Lord with gladness. I was taught from a child growing up that whatever I do, I do it as unto the Lord. When I clean the toilets on Saturday, I don't post it on Instagram. Because I didn't do it for Instagram. I didn't do it for the church to know I did it. I did it for one person, the Lord. Amen. When I come out and, I don't know, whatever, my wife's laughing at me. She's like, you ain't washed the toilet on a Saturday in a long time. When I come and cut the grass or whatever I can do to help out around here, I I don't do it for your credit. I don't do it for your glory. I do it for the glory of God. I do it as unto the Lord. I do it the best I can because it's for the king. I do it as much as I can before it's because it's for the king. I'm not just a means to an end. I recognize you can't build it without Bilhah. I've got news for every bill hog in this place today that the enemy has just told you you're used and abused and nobody appreciates you. Amen. And you're just a means to an end. I've got news for you. The house of Israel won't be built without you. I know you feel like you've got nothing to show for it, but the story's not over. I know that you feel like you've stood strong in your faith. You trusted in God and you stood on his word. And now you feel like you've got nothing to show for it. But it's not over. You feel like you've been looked over and let down. Used and abused, underappreciated, overlooked. But it's not over. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58. Therefore. My beloved, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want you to know every prayer that you prayed, it matters. Every time you showed up to church, it matters. Every time you come to the house of God and you don't feel like it, it matters. Amen. You're not just a means to an end. We can't build it without you. Second difference between a wife and a concubine is that a concubine doesn't cost you anything. 
One of the main reasons that a man in Bible times would take to him a concubine rather than a wife is because there was a price to be paid for a wife. A dowry was the name given to it. Whereas a concubine, there was no cost. It didn't cost you anything. What, what was the price paid by Jacob? Well, 14 years he worked. Seven years accidentally he works for Leah. But 14 years on purpose he works for Rachel. If you're gonna if you're gonna involve place yourself in a commitment, it's gonna cost you something, amen. And and, and a concubine, there was no cost associated, uh, amen. And so now, as 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 after he marries Rachel, working 14 years for her, the Bible says that after he marries Rachel, Laban just tosses in Bilhah, so just like you might throw a prize into a kids' meal. It doesn't cost anything. It's just a little something extra on the side that can help around the house, uh, amen. Here's what I've come today to say to somebody in this building that life will rob you of your value. Life has a way of making us feel worthless. The adversary, his mission is to rob you of your value, to convince you that you are worthless, that you're just a toy in somebody else's happy meal, that your past is too complicated and your future is too compromised. This is the mission of the devil. Jesus said himself, the thief comes but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What is the enemy come to do to rob you of any value or self-worth that you might have? And you might be here today convinced that you could never be anything but a concubine, that nobody would ever pay a price for you, that your past is too messed up and your future is too complicated. But I come today to tell you somebody did pay a price for you. You're not just a prize in a Happy Meal. You're not just a throw in there for, in somebody else's relationship. You mean something to God. He looked down through time and he saw you and he said, I'll pay the price for them. I've come to destroy a mentality that the enemy says Jesus died for good people. Well, I know he died for pastor because, you know, pastor's got a new suit today. So and even just that suit alone probably costs enough Jesus would die for him. And, and he'll probably die for Brother Roberts. Brother Roberts is a good guy. He teaches good lessons. He'll probably die for Brother Roberts. And, and probably these good saints at Living Hope that come week after week, yeah, he probably died for them too. You know, they're, they're good folks. They wear suits and ties to church. And, you know, they look like they got, they got their act together. Can I tell you today, that is a lie from the devil. That is a concubine-sized lie. It's the devil telling you that you have no value and you have no... Let me tell you what the Bible says. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't just die for preachers and pastors. He died for sinners. He died for broken people. He paid the price for you. Well, if I'll get good enough, if, if I could just erase some of my past, then I would feel worthy of the price that Jesus, he didn't pay the price so you could get good enough. He paid the price while you were yet a sinner. 
Come on, Bilha. We can't build it without you. We need you, Bilha. I know you feel like you've got no value. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man would some even dare to die. Listen to this verse. Listen to me right now with your Holy Ghost ears on. But God commended his love toward us. Everybody point at your neighbor and say us. Now do a U-turn and bring it right back to your chest. God commended his love toward me. Toward me. Everybody say toward me. Come on, Bill High. I know the devil's told you you're not worth anything. But Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. He died for you. Why are you yet a sinner? Come on, somebody in this building, the devil's been telling you that you're worthless and you've got no value and nobody would give anything for you. Can I tell you, 2,000 years ago, the king of glory went to a rugged tree and he laid down his life for you. For me. For me. For me. Not for Sunday morning me. Not for sanctified me. For sinner me. For a wretch like me. Come on, for a mess like me. He died for you. And he died for me. Still got that bony finger pointing at yourself? God commended his love toward me in that while we were, not after we were done being sinners, Not when we finally got our act together. Can you bring that up on the screen? I want them to know I'm not making this up. Romans 5 and 8. Come on, I want them to know I'm getting this right out of the book. Open your Bible if you got one. Pastor's not making this up. Amen. God, you're not a concubine. You're not just a concubine that doesn't get mentioned. You're not a priceless, valueless concubine. That's a means to an end for the God of glory. Amen. He paid a price for you. He paid the ultimate price in that while we were yet sinners. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house right now. There's some billhouse in this building right now that you feel unworthy. You feel like there's no reason God should love you. There's no way God can love you. Amen. You've done too much. You've gone too far. You're too messed up. There's no way God could put the broken pieces back together. Can I tell you 2,000 years ago when they put him on that tree, he could have called down 10,000 angels and he could have walked out of that place. They didn't crucify him unless he gave them permission. But I'm going to tell you what he was thinking when he was on that cross. You were on his mind. He was thinking about you. He said, I'm going to pay the price because there's a bill. Come on, there's a concubine. There's somebody who the enemy has told. They're worthless and they have no value. Come on, Bill Howe, we can't build it without you. Come on, Bill Howe, we need you. Come on, Bill Howe, he died for you. I wish somebody raised your hands right now. Even as I'm preaching, some of you still don't believe it. Come on, you still don't believe that God could love you. Come on, you still believe you've messed up too much, that you have no worth and you have no value. Listen, we can't build it without you. You're the reason. You're the reason he went to that tree. In the name of Jesus, I pray that crimson stream of blood 
would find its way into this sanctuary right now. And somebody who the thief has been visiting them in the midnight hour reminding them of all their failures and all the reasons God could never love them and all the reasons Jesus didn't come to die for them. I speak right now, Bill How you've got more value than you know. Bill How you've got more value than you know. We're not going to build it without you. He shed blood for you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Mm, I just want somebody to raise their hands right now and say he loves me. Come on, I know it's an old Sunday school song and it's simple. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible. Come on, Bill Haas, sing it with me, will you? Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible. He didn't just do it for Jacob's and or for Leah's and Rachel's. He didn't just do it for the people of notoriety and those that were in the lineage and the bloodline. He didn't just do it for them. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for sinners. He did it for people that had made a shipwreck of their lives. He did it for people that had left their past in shambles. He said, I'm paying the price because you mean something to me. Hey, man, I don't ever want you to think because some witnesses stood in the gate of a city somewhere and left your name out. Don't think that. Don't think they're speaking for me. I see you, Bill. Ha. I know we couldn't have built the house without you. Would you, would you help me just for a moment, and would you reach over and pray for something? This is such a delicate place that we're at right now in the Holy Ghost. Would you just reach over and pray for somebody nearby you? You're valuable to him. Doesn't even know who I am. Past is too broken, Pastor. There's no way. 20 years ago, I would have believed you. 30 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, but not before this, that, and the other. There's no way. Oh, yes, that's the reason why. That's the reason why he went to that tree. That's the reason why he shed blood. That's the reason why he bore stripes. That's the reason why he allowed that crown of thorns to be pressed into his brow. That's the reason why they laid him in a tomb. That's the reason why three days later he got up was because of you. Come on, Bill Ha, God's not finished with you. Listen up, Bill Ha, God's not finished with you. I know the enemy's told you you're just a worthless concubine. You're just a nobody in the grand scheme of things, but God's not finished with you. The story's not over yet. I know what they said in the gates of Bethlehem, but the story's not over. God's still writing. Softer, softer. 
As you remain standing, those that are. The final difference between wives and concubines is that wives are listed in lineage and inheritance. Concubines are not. You don't find concubines' names listed in... They're, 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 point, they're just an incubator. They just... They produce a child and the child becomes, they, they don't, they're insignificant. Their names don't matter. Which is why the witnesses in the gates of Bethlehem didn't include the names of Bilhah and Zilpah. Because concubines' names don't make it into the lineage of inheritance. So technically the witnesses were right. Bilhah didn't belong in the blessing. But then I turned to the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 7, and I'll be honest, I hadn't seen it before. And if you're honest, you probably haven't either. Because most of us, when we're doing our Bible reading program, when we get the 1 Chronicles, we skip the first eight or nine chapters. Because it's eight or nine chapters of this person begat that person and that person and that person, this person begat that and that. If you do read it, God bless you, but you probably just kind of breeze through it. You're not paying attention. There's like one point in there that we can preach from. That's Jabez. Other than that, it's just a bunch of names. The second chapter begins that building of the house of Jacob. Begins listing all the lineage of the house of Jacob. As we read through this list, we find names like Moses, Aaron, David, Solomon, Joshua, Caleb, Samuel, Judah, Jabez, Phinehas. On and on, all of these big names. And, and, and mixed right in the middle of all of these big names, these people that had done great things, they belonged in the inheritance, they belonged in the ancestry. But right in the middle of all of that, in the seventh chapter, in the 13th verse, just one phrase, I found it. Sons of Naphtali, Jazael and Gunai and Jezer and Shalom. The sons of Bilhah. Somehow a concubine made it into the lineage of Israel. Into the list of promise and inheritance. You know what God was saying? I won't build this without Bilhah. I'm preaching to somebody in this building today that you know your name doesn't belong in the promises of God. You're, the enemy reminds you every day that you're nothing more than a concubine that doesn't deserve the mercies of the Lord. That you don't deserve the grace of God. But the Almighty God said, I will not build it without Bilhah. I know your name doesn't belong in the inheritance, but I'm the king of glory. And I will put your name... I I'll bring your name out of darkness. I'll bring your name into the marvelous light. You can't build it without Bilhah. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Know ye not? Listen. If I hit on a nerve right now, I just want you to... If I, if I name your category of sin... Well, don't do anything. How about that? Because I'm not. I'm just going to keep reading. Know ye not that the unrighteous, the Bilhahs, shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. That, that covers everybody. All right? You may not know it, but you fall under one of those categories of sin. It gets them all. It gets, it gets moral sins. It gets motive sins. It gets it all. 
you have no inheritance, he said. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. But it doesn't end there because we're not going to build this without Bilhah. We're not going to build this kingdom without some people that didn't belong there. Because verse 11 goes on and says, such were some of you. Amen. Everybody say, that's me. Amen. I was a Bilhah. I didn't have any place in the inheritance. But I'm so glad the story doesn't end there. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the Spirit of our God, we're not going to build this without Bilhah. We're not going to leave you out. I know you might be broken, but his blood is for you. I know you might be broken, but his mercy is for you. Every eye closed in this building. I wonder if there's a Bilhah. I'm not talking, you say, well, I'm not a female. I'm not talking about gender specific here today. Bilhah is a type of person who doesn't feel worthy broken. I don't deserve to be in in the inheritance. I feel used and abused. I feel like I've not got no value and worth. But but, but I'm preaching to somebody in this building today. God is not finished with you. The story is not over yet. You may not feel like you've got a place in the kingdom, but we're not going to build this kingdom without you. And so I'm asking if there's a Bilhah in this building today that will walk down to this altar and join me. I promise you God wants to write your name. I promise you he doesn't want to leave you out. I promise you. I promise you I know what the gates of Bethlehem might be saying about you. I know they might be leaving your name out, but I promise you that blood that he shed 2,000 years ago, he's, he's taking that blood and he's writing your name in a book. He's writing your name that one day that book is going to be opened and every name is going to be read. And right there in the middle of that list is going to be a Bilhah who wasn't worthy and was broken. But God said, I'm not finished with you. Come on, Bilhah. You belong in the book, Bilhah. You belong in the book, Bilhah. I know what Bethlehem said about you, but God's not finished, Bilhah. He's still got a story to write about you. As you come to this altar, I want you to raise your hands and surrender. I want you to raise your hands and surrender. Come on, Bilhah, God's not finished with you. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait a while.